Hey guys, how you doing? Good, good. Can you do do me a favor and just turn to your neighbor and look at him and just be like, you're looking good today? You're looking good today? <laughs> All right. Hey, I'm super excited to be here, guys. Um, I just want to I want to give it back to Gersh and just say that that man is an incredible leader, incredible man of God. You've got such a good team here. Uh, him and his uh, wife to be, uh, Kat, uh, phenomenal couple. Love them so so much. Um, it's good to see you know Chris as well, uh, all on stage, all doing their things, absolutely smashing it. Hey, you guys are doing a really really good job here, uh, and it's a privilege. I'm looking over and I'm getting kind of blown away because I'm seeing old faces here, man. I see Fang. I see you here. All you guys used to be my youth kids. I think Rach was on keyboard before. Yeah, Rach and Justin's at the back somewhere as well. All of us used to go to youth ministry together. Uh, absolutely phenomenal. Look, um, I, I've been, uh, it's a privilege to come here and talk. So thank you so much for having me here. Is Dex here today, by the way? Oh, Dex is not here, but um, you know what? I just want to thank Dex for inviting me as well and allowing me to take the pulpit to speak. Uh, the topic that you guys are going through is along the lines of the Gospels, isn't it? It's something uh, in the Gospels, something about Jesus, his teachings, the I am statements, that sort of thing. Uh, as I was praying about what to preach on, I wanted to touch upon prayer, the subject of uh, prayer in the Gospels and what Jesus actually had to say about prayer. And I think I've just got two very basic points, but points I feel like we need to be reminded on constantly in our lives, in our prayer walk, in our walk with Christ. Um, you know, all of us grow up with prayer. If you're a Christian here, you've grown up with prayer and you've had different experiences of prayer before. I've had good experiences with prayer. Um, I've seen live healings before. People healed right before my eyes. I've had my dog um, that broke its back uh, healed right before my eyes vet couldn't explain it. They did the x-rays, can't explain how her spine fused back together, all that kind of stuff. I've had a youth ministry, both uh, youth ministries that have started off with few people. We prayed and prayed for revival and God saw these ministries grow into some of the largest in the state. Uh, we've, we've had, you know, all sorts of deliverances, that kind of prayer, all the prayer that you see that you hear that works in the Christian world. But here's something that a lot of people don't talk about as well. I've actually also seen the other side of prayer too. My mum uh, contracted cancer when I was, I think, around seven years old, uh, and she passed away despite praying for around a decade at that point in time. Uh, stage four melanoma, she lasted 10 years, though, which is a miracle in itself, um, but she passed away. I had a friend who um, unfortunately had a bit of an accident down in Esperance uh, and fell into the ocean and went missing for a few days, and we prayed for him. Uh, and unfortunately, he passed away as well. Uh, I've personally been through depression and I've walked through depression over the last few years. And I'll, I'll share a bit of that story later. Uh, and I prayed fervently through that season and it took me two years to walk out of it. So where's this, where's this balance? And here's the thing I think we have to enter the premise with. We always have to begin with a foundational belief that can't be shaken. Here's the foundational belief I want us to think about. Prayer never goes unheard. Prayer never goes unheard. The answer may not always be yes. The answer may be no. The answer may be not yet. But prayer never, ever goes unheard. We have to fundamentally understand that God is in the business of answering prayers, not ignoring them. That's something that we all have to understand before we even talk about prayer. Because there can be an assumption sometimes in, in Christianity when we, when we don't have prayers answered and things don't really go our way, then all of a sudden we just assume that God's not for us. 
God doesn't like what I'm doing. I'm doing something wrong. I must be sinning. God's punishing me for not answering my prayers, for not doing my devotion, for that kind of stuff. But that's never the case. God is not in the business of ignoring prayers. This is something we have to believe, and I'll go through this later. But I want to talk about the foundation of prayer for a second. In the book of Acts, we see as founda- this prayer being this, the bedrock of the revival for the church. If you go read the book of Acts, it talks so much about how they prayed and the Holy Spirit utilized those sessions of prayer to catalyze basically what was known as the great expansion of the church back in the day. If you read New Testament, that theology of prayer slowly develops into praying like, let's pray for revival. Let's pray for the churches to grow. Let's pray for explosive growth and, you know, the money to come in, the funds to come in. Let's pray for missionaries. Let's pray for leaders. And then it goes all the way into 1 Thessalonians 5.17 where Paul just kind of concludes, look, just pray unceasingly. Just don't stop praying. Don't give up praying. Prayer is so essential to the Christian life that we can't stop. And I love this story about Billy Graham. Billy Graham um, once preached uh, at, it's kind of like a morning show. They gave him a spot to preach. Uh, and the assistant of Billy Graham walked around with kind of the producer of the show. And the producer said, okay, this is, this is a room that we've delegated to the prayer room. So um, I guess uh, Reverend Graham can come in here and pray before the service. And the assistant to Billy Graham said, oh, don't worry. We're not going to need this room. Uh, don't worry about it. And, you know, people are like, oh, that, that's a bit weird. Uh, Billy Graham doesn't need to pray before the service. And the answer that the assistant gave, I I love, because this is actually a recorded answer in one of his books. It says, Mr. Graham actually started praying when he got up this morning. Uh, Mr. Graham was praying while he was eating breakfast. Uh, He was praying in the car. And Mr. Graham will also be praying throughout the interview. I love that. You don't stop praying. Prayer is not something that we stop doing. It's not something that a Christian does in the morning or something that a Christian does in the evening. It's something that the Christian lives and breathes, prayer. You know, can I give you a fact? And um, I, I go around to a few countries, especially in Southeast Asia, preaching at different churches and talking to the locals there about the church. And can I say, uh, uncategorically, I think this church in, the day, in this day and age, this church, it, we are in a spot where we're not seeing revival. Okay, we're not. It's a fact. We're not seeing revival. If we were seeing revival, we would have heard about it. We would have seen it. We would know it. We're actually seen in quite a negative light. In a few countries in Southeast Asia, if you go and ask the general population what they think of the church, and by the way, this for me includes the people that I've asked in Australia, they'll actually say to you, you know, the church is ineffective. The church is not just a voice that's seen in a negative light, because at least if you're seen in a negative light, you've still got weight to your voice. The church is ignored. The church is relatively powerless now. And people don't talk about it a lot because it's not something that we like to hear. But the church has lost its voice, so to speak. And if you ask me, why, why does this happen? Like, why are we in this place right now where we're just, we're being ignored? I can give you a simple answer that I feel is, from observation, what I believe. There's a lack of prayer in the church today. There's a genuine lack of prayer in the church today. We're not praying enough. And so I just want to go back to the Gospels, to two passages that I, you know, really spoke to me, both from Jesus and, you know, they, both of them quoting Jesus about what he says about prayer. And I just want to, I want to talk basics. Let's talk basics. Let's not go into how we can pray technically and stuff. Let's go into back to the basics so that we can revisit what actually is said about prayer and how we should pray. But before we start, can I just 
can I just pray first for this service? Father God, just pray that you hide me behind the cross, Lord, and that whatever comes out from my mouth today will just be about you and not about me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're taking notes today, take this down as the first point. Prayer is about His presence. Prayer is about His presence. Can you turn to the book of John, chapter 15, verse 7? The book of John, chapter 15, uh, verse 7. I'll give you a second to turn. I'm going to read this out. I'm reading out ESV, by the way. So John 15, 7. It says this. If you remain in me, and obviously this is Jesus talking, if you remain in me and my works remain in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I'll say that again. If you remain in me and my works remain in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, this is not a genie clause, okay? It's not this clause that says, okay, as long as you're close to God, you can have three wishes and anything will happen. That's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is a because clause. If you remain in me and my works remain in you, then you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done to you. The whole premise is that fellowship with God is at the heart of prayer. God wants you to get to a point where you draw so close to Him that His will is so burnt into your heart that you're so aligned, whatever comes out of your mouth that's God's will. Whatever you say, whatever you think, you're so in line with God. In other words, fellowship with God is at the heart of prayer. When you remove fellowship with God from prayer, all you're left with is a transaction. And prayer becomes more of a duty than it does a joy. It becomes more about your Christian obligation than it does about fellowship and time with God as a person, as a being as someone that we can love, it doesn't become about the mind anymore. Do you see, when we treat prayer like a transaction, we're so tempted before we go to sleep. I just got to say my prayer, often it's very routine. We usually use the same words, the same kind of format. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it can become so robotic to us that it's actually more so about getting it done as opposed to spending the time with God. But the Bible's very clear on one thing. Prayer is not just meant to be a convenient device for imposing our will on God. It's not. Prayer is actually the biblically prescribed way of subordinating our will to His. I think it was um, Philip Yancey that used the illustration about prayer being kind of like a, a, a like, let's just say you're in a boat and you're tying yourself off to a jetty. So you throw the rope around the jetty and as you pull the rope, you're actually not pulling the shore towards the boat. That's ridiculous, right? Who thinks that? You're not pulling the shore towards the boat. You're pulling the boat towards the shore. That's what prayer's like. It's not us bending God to our will the more time we spend with Him. It's actually us aligning ourselves with God's will. That's what prayer is. Um, in 2009, I remember this incident. In 2009, um, it was the first youth camp that I led. I, I was, um, just became a youth kind of chairperson in the Methodist system. Uh, and I, I just started leading youth ministries. And I was put in charge of this camp. And in my mind, I was like, this is my big break. This is going to be like, you know, the best camp ever. We've organized it. There's 120 people coming. It's the big, biggest camp this church has ever organized. So let's get to it. Let, let's, let's do this. And so I, I went there with the advance party one day ahead of time for the camp. Um, and there are actually a few people who have been at this camp and some who actually got saved at this camp, I think. Um, and, and we went to this camp and I went with the advance party and I was setting up all the stuff. And around 10 p.m. at night, this is before the first day of camp, I noticed something was wrong. I noticed my voice started to get a little bit weird. And so I, I was like, oh, this is a little bit weird. Um, I'm starting to lose my voice. 
And so I said to the team, you know what, let's pray. Let's pray for my voice. I'm the camp commander. I can't lose my voice. If I lose my voice, it's over. Uh, so I, I, I sat down with the team and they all laid hands on me and we all prayed the whole, you know, the whole Christian thing. We believe in healing, that sort of stuff. Uh, and then I was like, okay, good, we're done. Let's, let's go to sleep. And so I went to sleep that night. I woke up the next morning, zero voice, like absolutely no voice. I couldn't even utter a word. I couldn't speak to save my life, let alone shout at like a hundred campers. It was impossible for me to lead this camp. And I woke up in a tirade. I started going off at God. You know how we do that, right? Like when prayer doesn't go our way. I started going off at God. Like, what are you doing, Lord? Like, what? How, you asked me to lead this camp. You made everything lead up to the point where I can lead this camp. And then you take away my voice. Like, why would you take away the only instrument that I have to lead this camp? I meant to sing. I was meant to lead like one worship session as well. Like, how am I going to do that now? Everyone's calling me Darth Vader because they can't, you know, my voice sounds really raspy. All this sort of, it was, it was really, really bad. And I got so worked up but as I was as I was screaming at God I you know I eventually got tired I sat down and I heard God speak to me just just two words and he whispered into my ears you know I'm enough that's it he just said I'm enough and so of those two I was still mad by the way but off those two words I got up and I said okay do you know what if he says he's enough I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve as who he is. And I, I served and I gave my heart out. I hired someone to be my voice. Um, and I just whispered into their ear and they had to kind of like shout out. It was kind of like Aaron and Moses. You know what I mean? Like I had to kind of speak um, to them and they had to speak to the camp. That was the camp where not only the next youth pastor was, came to Christ. Like the next youth pastor actually came to Christ in that camp. Around 10% of the camp came to know Christ. We had a massive Holy Spirit encounter. And the last night of that camp is something that up to this day, I won't forget. It was the night where the Holy Spirit came and there were around 100 people here, some non-Christians, some Christians, some people who came to actually mock the church. Um, and the Holy Spirit fell from the front to the back and every single person in the room ended up on their knees. That was the camp that gave us enough momentum as a youth group to move towards a transition as well. See, our most significant moments can come out of a time of weakness. Prayer doesn't need to be answered in the way that we expect it to be for a result to happen. Sometimes we treat prayer like a map, you know, like we, when we, when we think about prayer, we think about clarity. That's the word that we think about. We look at it, oh, I'm going to pray to God and because I want to know what happens in the next season of my life, right? I, I need like a map. Prayer is not a map. It's, it's never described as a map through our afflictions and through our valleys. Prayer is more like a lamp. Prayer isn't designed to give you clarity. Prayer is designed to give you trust. It's not designed to give you clarity. Okay, the next you know, 10 years, this is exactly what you're going to do, John. This is exactly where you're going to go. This is exactly who you're going to speak to. And this is exactly, you know, th that's not what prayer is meant to do. If, if that was prayer, honestly, we would just pray once, download the map, and then we'd never pray again. Prayer is designed to draw us near to God. It's a lamp that reveals one step at a time so that we can continue to draw close and more rely on God than before. It's not meant to reveal the path. It's never meant to reveal the path. One of the worst things that we can do with prayer is to actually lose perspective. And then we make prayer about aligning God to our will, about pulling Him closer to us as opposed to us drawing nearer to Him. But the fact of prayer is that every single prayer that we pray as a Christian should be a variation of the simple phrase, thy will be done. Every prayer that we pray. Like I told you before, I was exposed to desperate prayer at a very young age. At the age of seven, my mum was diagnosed with stage four melanoma, given around four months to live. 
I was seven years old, guys. I didn't know how to pray. Do you get what I mean? Like, I didn't know how to pray for healing. I didn't know all the technicalities behind healing prayers. I just knew that if I didn't pray, something bad was going to happen. So I got on my knees every single day when I was a kid for 10 years. My prayers grew increasingly desperate, increasingly hostile, increasingly angry. I remember six months before mom passed away, she was assigned to palliative care in our home. And that, if you've ever been, I would not wish that on anyone, but if you've ever been through that, it's just a harrowing experience having someone in your home with the oxygen tanks and you can hear their breathing at night and then the, you know, the panic monitors going off and stuff like that. You can't get more than three hours sleep because you you're just worried, is, is it now? Is, is it going to happen now? Or is it going to happen in a week's time? You just don't really know. I remember being in that high state of stress and my prayers were so hostile to God. I really laid it on Him. I really went after Him. You know, God, what are you doing? God, you failed me. God, you said this in your word. You said this about healing, but it hasn't come to pass. I declared every promise about healing in the word over my mom. And I'm, you know, from a bit of a charismatic background. So every single promise, we kind of name it and claim it sort of thing. And then, you know, now I, I don't necessarily agree with that, but whatever. At the time, I was like, I'll turn to anything that'll work. I'll do anything that'll work. I got to a point where it was around two months before mum passed away. I was so tired. I was so tired of praying these prayers. My prayers turned from, you know, scolding and screaming God to just a simple, simple word. It was just help. Like, God, just, just help me. Like, just, just help me out of this situation. And mom, as we all know, my mum still passed away. But I'll tell you something. The prayer didn't change the situation the prayer ended up changing me. It ended up changing my heart towards God, my attitude towards God. It enabled me to see God's will in and amongst the mess. Again, didn't give me clarity. I still don't have answers up to today why such a faithful woman was taken so early from me. But you know what? I, I've just learned to trust God with that now. There's an author called Tony Campolo, and he tells this story, and I love this story. He prayed for a man with cancer, um, and in the middle of the week, he got this phone call, and the man's wife actually called him, and she said, you know, oh, you prayed for my husband, Tony. Uh, he's the one that had cancer. And Tony was like, did she say had? Oh, it's finally happened. Like, he's finally got his big breakthrough healing. Um, and then the wife interrupted him. Oh, actually, um, he died. And he was, you know, a wave of discouragement was, was filled him. But, but the wife continued, and I love this, this whole sentiment. Don't feel bad. You know, when he came into the church that Sunday, he was filled with anger. He knew he was going to be dead in a short period of time, and he hated God. He was 58 years old, and he wanted to see his children and his grandchildren grow up. He was angry that this all-powerful God didn't take away his sickness and heal him. And he would lie in bed and just curse God. And the more his anger grew towards God, the more miserable he was to everyone around him. It was an awful thing to be in his presence. But after you prayed for him, this peace had come over him and a joy had come into him. And she said to Tony, Tony, the last three days have been the best days of our lives. We've sung, we've laughed, we read scripture, we prayed. They've been wonderful days. And I called you to thank you for laying your hands on him and praying for healing. And then she said something that I really love, I think is so profound. He wasn't cured, but he was healed. 
If you could turn with me to 2 Samuel, I, I love this passage. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 16 to 24. Uh, and this is about, obviously, um, when David had the illegitimate baby. And, you know, God basically sent the prophet to tell him that baby, that baby's going to die. And David was like, oh, my goodness, I need to fast and I need to pray. And I've got to stop this. I've got to get ahead of this. Um, so we, we pick up the story here. 2 Samuel 12, 16 to 24. I'm going to start at 16, okay? It's a, it's a longer passage, but bear with me because I feel like there's so many good points in this story. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in a sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood behind him to get him up from the ground, but he refused and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. So the child's dead, okay? David's attendants were so scared to tell him that the child was dead because they thought while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. And how can we now tell him that the child is dead? He may do something desperate. They're worried that he's going to kill himself. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves and he realized the child was dead. So he asked them, is the child dead? Yes, they replied, he's dead. Verse 20. David then got up off the ground and after he had washed and put lotions on and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord. He went into the sanctuary and he worshipped. Then he went to his house and at his request, they served him food and he ate. And his attendants asked him, they were so puzzled, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But now that the child is dead, you get up and eat? And he answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now he's dead. Why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him. That's a statement of hope, by the way. I will go to him, but he will not return to me. And then David comforted his wife, Bathsheba, and he went and made love to her. And then she gave birth to a son and they named him Solomon. By the way, Solomon means God's peace. And the Lord loved Solomon. Notice this. David's prayer wasn't answered, yeah? But what did it do? It brought him back to a frame of mind where he could actually go back into the temple. If you read previously, David actually strayed from the Lord before this. David's walk with the Lord was not fantastic. But after this intense prayer, this fasting, this begging for God, what did prayer do? Did it rectify the situation and bring the child back to life? It didn't. It didn't. The moment the child died, though, what happened? You got to see what the prayer did. It revealed in something in David had changed. He went back into the house of the Lord and he started worshipping. This is, this is comfort. We can come to God with specific requests and we have God's promise that our prayers are never in vain, even if we don't receive what we ask for. As Christians, we always have to know just because you, you, just because we don't see anything happening doesn't mean that God is not moving. Let's move to the second point, okay? So first, prayer is about His presence. The second point, prayer is about persistence. Can you turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verses 5 to 13? This is a common story that you guys would have known. Luke, chapter 11, verses 5 to 13. I'll read it out again. Oh, wow, you guys are really quick over here. Okay, awesome. Let's go. Jesus said, suppose you had a friend, okay? Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I've got nothing to offer him. And suppose the one inside the house answers, hey, go away, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, because of relationship, yet because of your shameless audacity, that's a very interesting phrase, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, 
Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if you ask for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, key phrase, will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more? Something you need to understand Back in the day Hospitality was one of the pillars of culture So it would be very difficult If not impossible To find someone who would be this rude To find someone who would just completely ignore a neighbor Who came to them for help This has been intentionally exaggerated To to show a how much more clause How much more clause is kind of like a clause That utilizes juxtaposition a lot of the times Kind of the black and white To draw out the extent of a principle in the Bible How much more does your persistence in this case Have an effect on God If even humans respond to it And humans, as this passage has said Don't always have your best needs in mind How much more does your persistence in prayer Have an effect of God Who actually wants to give you good things Here's a line that I take from this Your persistence in prayer Reveals your reliance on God You'll lean on prayer if you believe it works If you believe it does something You'll lean on it The Christian that believes in prayer Will pray The Christian that doesn't pray clearly doesn't understand the importance of prayer or doesn't believe in its effect. The weakness in our prayers today is not that we don't know what to say. I think in a crowd like this, I very safely say we're all quite educated here. We all know the words to use. We all know the semantics, the semantical way to get out a certain meaning in our prayers. That's not the problem. The problem is probably persistence, to be honest with you. It's probably the frequency of our prayers or the desperation of said prayers. You see, as Christians, we can't see prayer as some polite religious sentiment that we all have to commit to every day. Prayer is something that we must be willing as Christians to stake our lives on. We must have this determination to not give up until God has heard us. There's a, uh, I think it's a Norwegian uh, theologian called Ole Hallesby. And he gives this illustration of deep rock mining. So you know how they blast those cliffs, right? Um, he, He describes there are two processes in the blasting of these cliffs. The first is a very dreary, very long, very difficult drilling down into the earth, boring holes into the earth so that they can drop the like the explosive down there. And this takes ages as they dig, as they drill multiple shifts, multiple locations. It's tedious, it's boring, it's hard work, it's expensive, but it must be done. And the second phase is quite simply lighting the fuse. And he says, we as Christians have to avoid fuse lighting prayers that we give up as soon as we don't get immediate results. This is prayer is more like this deep, boring, this drilling down into earth. It's tedious. It's long. A lot of the times it's a very dreary thing to do, but that's the prayer that makes the fuse lighting effective. We as Christians, sometimes we, we like the fuse lighting prayers because, you know, the moment we pray, oh, something happens. That's exciting. Immediate results, right? This is our culture. Immediate results. That means prayer works. And that's kind of the positive reaffirmation that we take on prayer. That's how we get encouraged in our prayer. But what happens when all of a sudden you pray for something and it doesn't come to pass? 
what happens. That's why I don't want to just kind of stand up here and give you sweet stories about how many times prayer has worked in my life. Because although there are so many of these stories, if I preach about a result, you'll never develop persistence. That kind of preaching, it doesn't encourage persistence because it's so focused on a specific result. It's so focused on our will. Our prayers must be focused on His presence. Then they'll become persistent because His presence is a constant. You know, we have to avoid these extremes of not praying, yeah? We say, oh, you know, it's all God's will anyway. Whatever He wants will happen, so let's just not pray. Clearly, the Bible says we have to pray. Prayer is integral to the life of the Christian. We have to avoid the extreme of not praying, but we also have to avoid the extreme that we just believe that everything that comes out of our mouth immediately becomes the will of God. We have to kind of hold the balance. It's this balance between striving with God and a deep acceptance of His will, whatever that will turns out to be. And the key to persistence will always be this. Prayer must trust in the character of God. And God is good. It must trust in the character of God if you want to develop prayer. If you want to develop persistent prayer, you as a Christian, we as a Christian, we have to believe fundamentally God is good. Prayer, guys, isn't about establishing God's presence. I think His presence is already with you. Prayer is about embracing His presence. You know, we should approach prayer not insistent on our will. We should approach prayer expectant of God's response. Um, there's, a, there's an ethicist by the name of John Cavanaugh uh, who went to visit Mother Teresa back when, you know, she was alive uh, in Calcutta in the House of the Dying. And he went to her because he wanted her to pray for him. He really sought after that prayer and he found her and she was ministering as she did um, to the dying. And, you know, she had very little time. So she turned to him, my son, how can I, how can I pray for you? And he, he said this, he said, um, can you pray that I would have clarity? And Mother Teresa turned to him and said, no, I'm not going to do that. And when he asked her why, she said, clarity is the last thing you are clinging to and must let go of. And when John Cavanaugh commented that she always seemed to have clarity and that she always seemed to know where God was calling, she actually laughed and she said, my son, I've never had clarity. What I have always had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God instead. Can I get the keys or guitar or the worship team up, guys? Um, I, guys, just... I just turned the corner uh, for probably one of the worst seasons of my life. Back in um, 2018, I was diagnosed with chronic depression. And I, had to, um, I was leading a church, uh, another church in Perth previously, and I had to step down from my role there um, as a full-time minister. Ministry was pretty much all I had known up to that point. I've been ministering since I was like, you know, 15, 16 years old. I went from the peak of ministry, pretty much preaching in front of thousands of people all over Southeast Asia to suicidal ideation within three months. And I stayed there for two years. 2018 and 2019 were probably the most painful years of my life where I questioned my identity. I questioned who I was. My prayers were hostile, very desperate prayers. God, where are you? God, you've let me down. God, you've written me off. You know, less than six months ago, I felt God release me into this new season. 
Um, and it wasn't this kind of like, oh, I prayed and all of a sudden, ah, you know, everything's brand new and I walked out, you know, ship shape. That's not what happened. I think I just got tired of fighting God and I crawled out of that season broken, humbled, uh, in- incredibly hurt. But you know what I learned through two years of rugged persistence in prayer? I'll tell you. God responds to our persistence with His presence. He may not remove the storm from your life, but He will walk you through it. Can we just bow our heads in prayer, please? Father God, I just... I just want to glorify you in this place tonight, Lord. God, just reveal yourself to individuals in this place tonight. Show us, Lord, you are good. Show us, Lord, you are faithful. Show us, Lord, that you are loving, that you are kind, that you are compassionate, but that you are also powerful and you are holy and you are mighty and strong, God. Reveal yourselves to the people, Lord, in in this place tonight. Reveal yourself to this church. Lord, that we may see you and that our prayer life may not take on who we think you are. We may not be praying to a God that we have made up or constructed in our minds from our perspective, but God, our, our response in prayer, Lord Jesus, will be a direct response response from the revelation of who you are God as we sing and as we worship you I just pray Lord that you would convict us that you would just come encounter us give us the peace that transcends all understanding I pray for people here who have prayers lifted up to you God prayers that may not yet be answered prayers that Lord Jesus they may be waiting on prayers that the answer may be not yet God I pray Lord that your presence, Lord, will just be enough for them. God, I pray that your presence will just overwhelm them and that all of us, God, may just see and understand that your presence, it's enough. It's enough for us, God. Thank you, Jesus. And church, would you just stand as we respond?